Curtin Cade mornings, not just on the radio. It's a podcast, too. One of our favorite people on the planet is Dr. Ron Sauer. He is retired. He taught at Moody Bible Institute. He was a professor there for 41 years, and God redirected him. He's now a pastor in Chicago. He's got a brand-new website, and he was filling in for Dr. Jim Coakley on Curtin Kate's Bible Q&A. And I love it because he digs really deep and then invites us to dip our toes in. Obviously, other people like him, too, because the phone lines were jammed. There's so much good stuff here, so many nuggets of wisdom, but don't take our word for it. Hang out with us and listen. Hey, Ron, how you doing? I'm doing well, Kurt. Thank you. Awesome. It's great to have you you back. It's it's been a while. Every time you're with us, you just make us smile. It's so much fun. And I enjoy it, too. Okay, so we want to break some news here. Today's a very, uh, well, recently it's been a very big day for for you. I guess it was New Year's Day, was it? That it was. Uh, That you launched your new website, this new season of ministry for you. Tell us about that. It's uh, translatableinsights.com. That's correct. As a college professor for 41 years, it was my custom to begin each class by offering the students a brief devotion from Scripture. If I chose an Old Testament passage, I would give the Hebrew text with my English translation under it. If from the New Testament, I'd give them the Greek Greek text with my English translation beneath it. And then I would work my—students need not know Hebrew and Greek. And I would work my way through the grammar, showing how a knowledge of the original languages assist us in interpreting the verse so it should become more clear. And then I would draw, after interpreting the verse, draw practical applications relevant to their daily life. And in those 41 years, the students maintained that that was their favorite part of class. And I enjoyed those devotions as much as they did. And as Joseph stored up grain during seven years of prosperity, when famine came, he opened his storage bins and brought out all that grain to feed the nation and keep the Egyptians from starvation. In like manner, after storing up spiritual grain for 41 years in my class devotions, I decided to see if I could not open my storage bins and put those devotions online for people around the world. And so uh, this past January the 1st, with the help of my son Joseph, who's very good at this, and editing, we uh, started the website in translatable, one word, insights, one word, dot com. That's great. I have it up here in the studio. I love this. And can I just say that your students, they brag on you all the time because uh, I can see this, the chatter about you, you know, when there's some, you show up in a YouTube video or something and the students, they absolutely, they love you. That must be very rewarding for you because you know it's true. Well, it, it is, and um, Kurt, it's just a wonderful privilege that God put me there, and I had the opportunity to have a part in the students' education and spiritual formation. I don't know if I mentioned before, but I was converted to Christ through a hymn written by a former Moody professor, and then as a, high school, a new high school Christian, the books written by Kenneth S. Weeks, who was the Greek teacher at Moody, fell into my hands, and it was through his little books 
that whetted my appetite for Greek, which I studied. And then in the providence of God, I ended up replacing Kenneth Weiss as the Greek teacher at Moody. And so maybe my being on the faculty there has been a bit of payback to the Lord for all that the Institute did for me. <laughs> That's, That's a wonderful, the backstory. Yeah. So you taught for, uh, what, 41 years, and the decision to... I'm not going to say retire because God just transitioned you into a new season of ministry. In fact, you're the pastor of a church in Chicago as well. Tell us about how God led you to, because you love teaching, but how did you know it was a new season? And what are your thoughts on retirement? At least, you know, everybody has their differing opinions on this. I'm curious about your thinking when it comes to, to all of this. How did it work out and what were you thinking? Okay, here it is. Uh, God called me to teach. I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed teaching students in class and spending time with them outside of class at my office. I did that for 41 years. And like a hungry man sits down at a table set with delicious food and fills his stomach, he can eat no more. He gets up and walks away, in a positive sense, satisfied with uh, the meal. In like manner, after 41 years of teaching, I was just satisfied with it. And so in the, in the right sense, the good, the positive sense, uh, I got up and walked away from teaching. And I want to do something different. I want to work in a church. And I want to do it with my special spouse every day. I'm 77. Sue is 76. We believe that we have far more to offer people now than when we were in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, early 60s. Why? We're older, more experienced, should be more knowledgeable. If we walk with God, we should be more spiritual. Hence, we ought to have more to offer people now. So we don't want to quit. We'll retire maybe when we get to heaven. And we are just enjoying working in the Brentford Bible Church in Chicago and continuing to deal with people who have nothing to do with the church. We get calls and visits from people and God gives us uh, open hearts to deal with. And so we don't want to stop. We just are enjoying life, enjoying the Lord, <laughs> enjoying great. ministry, enjoying marriage, etc. You're making That's a smile wonderful. here because this yeah. is this is so refreshing to hear this. And we know that, I mean, everybody is different. I mean, maybe we have some folks who have health issues and, and they needed to retire. You know, everybody has a different set of circumstances in their lives. But if God has given us good health and a sharp and nimble mind to serve him each and every day, I, I don't want this to sound like a Christian cliche because I truly believe it. It sounds like bumper sticker theology in a way, but... Serving the Lord really is its own reward, isn't it? It is. Um, when God uses us to meet the need uh, of people who are hurting, there comes to us a joy and satisfaction we cannot get from any other area of life. Um, some years ago, on a street corner in Chicago, a woman was holding her two-year-old daughter in her arms, and a vicious dog rushed up, grabbed the little girl out of the mother's arms, started attacking him. Nearby, two young men saw what was happening. They rushed over, and with a bicycle, they beat the dog off. And the television crew interviewed him. And one of those young men said, Today, I helped save somebody's life. Man, that makes me feel so good. He was speaking more wisdom than he knew. And the wisdom he spoke was, To be 
what Jesus was on the earth, a servant, and to be used by God to meet somebody's need. Again, there comes to us a joy we cannot get from any other source. And God's called each Christian to be a doulos. That's, a, that's the Greek word for servant. That's what Jesus was on the earth. Hey, if you translate that word, does it mean slave or does it mean servant? Interesting. Well, the Greek word means both. It's used in a bad sense to be a slave in chains, in chains so you can't run away. But the Bible took it and elevated it to a prestigious term, a servant of God. So it's used both ways. It all depends on the context. Okay, see, this is the type of stuff that we love from Ron, as well as the story, the backstory that he shared. I hope that was an encouragement for you today. Every time he's with us, he encourages us. And, you know, I want to hang out with people who make me love Jesus more. Yes. Who make me love the Bible more, and Ron Mm -hmm. is one of those guys. Absolutely. Thank you for taking some time to listen to this episode of the Curtain Cape Mornings podcast. We always welcome a review with your thoughts and comments, and please feel free to subscribe and follow us as well. To the phones we go. Let's see. First up, let's go to Jeremy in Tampa. Hi, Jeremy. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Welcome. All right. I bet you have a question. Yeah. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question is about worship and, uh, and noticing how we see a lot of like the flash and the lights and, and how sometimes it seems like it's more about the show. And I'm wondering, where where can we read about how we're supposed to worship, and at what point does it become too much? Jeremy, do you mean, at what point do all the lights and bells and whistles mean uh, become too much? Yeah, like when it becomes too much of a distraction to us, actually, the, the act of worship. Okay. Okay. Jeremy, I agree with you. Uh, I think that Worship in some churches today is more entertainment, and I'm concerned about that. And you ask the question, where do we find out how we worship? Well, we do that in the New Testament, like in Colossians, where it says we are to speak to one another in hymns and songs, um, and we are to teach and admonish one another. We're to pray for one another. We are to have fellowship together. And worship is basically attributing worth to God. And so when we come together, we attribute worth, esteem, honor to God by hearing his word and taking it to heart, by pouring out our heart to him in prayer, by singing hymns of praise, by giving testimonies, by encouraging one another, by building each other up. Um, so I think that's what we need to be concentrating on, not so much the lights and the bells and, the bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. That's good. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Blessings to you uh, and your family. All right, so I must admit, one of my spiritual heroes, Ron, is Charles Spurgeon. And uh, I ran across a quote of his. I want to bounce this off of you because it kind of ties in with what uh, Jeremy was referring to there. This is what Spurgeon said. The devil has seldom done a cleverer thing than hinting to the church that part of their mission is to provide entertainment for the people with a view to winning them. What do you think about that? I agree I agree with uh, Charles Spurgeon on that. And we're not to entertain uh, people. In fact, the world is excellent. They're outstanding at entertaining people. They can do a better job uh, of entertaining people than the, than the church can. 
But that's not the mission of the church. We are to preach the gospel, win the laws, build up the saints, and glorify God. We can do that. The world can't. And let me add, I think one of the greatest assets of a local church are its people. That is to say, friendships with a handful of people. For four years, my wife and I lived in England where I was a student, and we had attended a church, and what made my stay in England so beneficial, enjoyable, were two blue-collar workers, Alan and Cyril. I don't know if they ever graduated from high school. They were just humble, hardworking souls. They were just wonderful uh, to me. I had such good fellowship, encouragement with those fellows. Um, I was studying academics in, uh, in England. These guys were just struggling to make ends meet and support their families. Uh, but just the time that I had with them, they made, they made my stay in England uh, just delightful. And all of us Christians, we should go to church and look for um, a handful of people that we can really get close to. I'm all for good sermons in our church. But uh, again, one of the greatest assets any church has are its people. Wow, this is good. Amen. You know who you're speaking to, Ron, today as well? Uh, we talked about this last week on the show. There are many people who have been hurt by other Christians, hurt by, quote-unquote, the local church, and they're gun-shy. And, and they're like, you know what? I just don't want to put myself out there again. I I just have a hard time. You know, I love Jesus, but I'm not sure I love the church, etc. Um, what do you say to those people who are challenged in that way? I would say, let's be realistic. I think most Christians are really fine people. But there are some Christians who have rough edges, and they're going to hurt us. They're going to wound us. Uh, that's that's going to happen. But most Christians are not like that. Now, it's interesting that yesterday at our church in Chicago, one of our men brought to church a former gang member in Chicago who's been to prison four times, who's attended 60 funerals of his friends killed in the Chicago gang wars. Wow. And uh, he, asked, he asked the question, if I walk into this church, are the people going to jump me and beat me up? Are they going to hurt me in some way? So, um, he, and he said, I, I have been to churches before, and the people are disgusted with me. They look at all my tattoos. They don't want me there. They discourage me. And it's been a long time since I've been back to church. And I was just so grateful yesterday that our church, with wide open arms, welcomed him in hugged him, let him know how glad we were that he was there. And when the service is over, he said, I'm coming back here next mm, next Sunday. Wow. So I would just say to people who have been wounded, those people who wounded you are not the typical Christians. Give them another chance. God's of the opinion that going to church is good for us. And I would say, I think COVID has really hurt church attendance. And yes. I'm afraid church, Christians have gotten lazy staying away from church and watching it on, um, online. Mm -hmm. Do that only if you cannot go to church. There are wonderful advantages for rubbing elbows with people in church, fellowship, prayer, showing concern for each other, as well as good sermons. Yeah. Well, yeah. you put your finger on That's it so right true. there. That's good. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Wesley Chapel, and that would be Rick. Hey, Rick, what's your question for Ron this morning? Good morning. Good morning, Doctor. Well, like most people, I started my reading plan the first of the year. And every time I come across Genesis chapter 6, 
verse, so I normally just pass by it, read through it, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on what is, what's being said, or what's the attempt, or what's your thoughts on that? That's Genesis. Chapter 6, verse 4. Chapter 6, verse 4. Okay, good. The Nephilim, these were mighty men of old, uh, perhaps like giants, uh, exaggerated a bit, and they've often been equated with fallen angels who came to earth and had relations with women. And I don't go along with that because in Genesis 6, in the context, angels are not mentioned, but the godly Sethites are. And where it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. Who are the sons of God? I think those are the godly Sethites uh, and, not, and not angels, not fallen angels. Oh, that's really interesting. Hmm. But there are, uh, you know, obviously theologians, Bible scholars who disagree on all of this, and uh, it's it's just a fascinating, a fascinating question. So we're really glad, Rick, that you asked the question. Awesome. Let's uh, see here. Back to the phones. We gladly go. We have someone who is wanting to remain anonymous, which is totally fine. Anonymous is joining us from Orlando this morning. Hello, Anonymous. Good morning to you. Yes, good morning. I have uh, just a question, and it's... Um a little uncomfortable, but it regards my ex-husband, my understanding is uh, there's a lot of slander, like he's just slandering me a lot. Um, I've just been in prayer for him. I'm really not sure how to handle it, but we do have a grandchild uh, together, and it's just kind of causing a little bit of, um, I'm trying to be Christ-like, but at the same token, I don't really know how strong I am to address it, um, but then I feel like I, I'd like to, so I'm not, and I'm not sure how to handle it, so I'm just asking. Okay, so I understand that he's your ex-husband who is slandering you, and you're especially concerned because the two of you have a grandson. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. I think you should be uh, concerned. Proverbs says a gossip can separate close friends. That is to say that his gossip can badly influence your grandson against you. So I think the issue needs to be addressed. And what I would do is I think I would arrange an opportunity and probably I think a third party would be necessary, arrange an opportunity where you can meet with your ex-husband and talk about the issues and and present him, remind him some of the things that he said. And if they're not true, then I, th- I would encourage you to demonstrate to him uh, that they're not true and challenge him for any evidence of the accusations he's made in, making against you and plead with him on the ba- uh, regarding the grandson. I, I'm, not, I'm not negative toward our grandson about you. I don't want to turn our grandson against you. And in like manner, I don't want you to turn him against me. And I think your major appeal should be to the Lord, because the saints of God in the past were slandered, and they cried out to God for justice, and God did hear them. And so I want you to to go to the throne of grace and appeal to God to stop his mouth so that he speaks the truth. And he's not going to speak well of you than to say nothing about you. Mm -hmm. And I think you just need a third party. That you, that's going to uh, be necessary to come in and meet with you and your ex. What, what about the child, the, the, you know, the, chi- the grandchild's parent that is your child, your son or daughter? She, yeah. 
Yeah, she understands. She, she, um, well, no, actually, I haven't even shared with her the slander because she's dealing with her own issues with him, mm-hmm. and I don't want to add to it. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's thing, it's um, something I've just kept to myself. I haven't shared it with anyone. Mm-hmm. But it's, I don't really know how to handle it. So I've just been praying. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let me say one other yeah. thing. This comes from, if I remember correctly, Psalm. 105, and I think verse 18 or 19, and it's what I call iron in the soul. Iron in the soul means when somebody has been abusing you, and you've tried everything you can to stop it, now you need to put your foot down and take firmer steps. And Joseph did that in Egypt. His 10 older brothers walked all over him. And then when he became the ruler, he had some iron in the soul. And he confronted his his brothers on the way they treated him in the past. Now does that does that go contrary to what Jesus said? When somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek? No. When somebody slaps you on one cheek, go ahead and turn the other cheek. And when you get that one slapped, how many cheeks have you got left? You're out of cheeks. Hmm. Now it's time to do something different. It's time to take appropriate steps and do everything you can to stop the abuse or the oppression. Hmm. Iron in the soul. Dr. Ron Sauer, I want to let you know that his brand new website is so helpful, guys. You have to check it out because uh, he has so many good things. It's uh, translatableinsights.com. We've made it textable. Just text insights to the Curtin Kate hotline and we'll send you out a direct link to it. Let's go next to Patrick in Claremont. Hey, Patrick, how you doing? Good. How you guys doing? Doing good. great. What's your question? Hey, Dr. Ron, uh, first of all, thank you for all the insights earlier. Very powerful stuff. Um, I was forced into retirement early, and um, I don't like retirement. And so I applied for a seminary to be uh, in biblical studies. And I've been talking with a lot of the men at church, and I keep getting a lot of people telling me, you know, ah, you don't need to do that. Just, you know, study more in the Bible. And, and the reason, and everyone keeps asking me why I applied, and I'm looking for the you know, my next great adventure is that I want to retire and I want to serve God. And um, I don't know, I just didn't know if you had any insight on that as to following through with that. Um, again, my, my passion, I, I don't know where I'm going to direct that to, um, but uh, I thought if I can be in service of God and my interest was to learn more and to uh, just know more about the Bible. Okay, Patrick, you're a man after my own heart. (laughs) I commend you. I think God shut the door, and you were forced into retirement because this is what he wanted you to do. I like the idea of you you going back to school, and and especially biblical studies. What could you better study than that? Um, And these, I believe that the best years of your life lie ahead of you. Remember, Moses Moses was 80 years old. Now, he lived to be 120. So two-thirds of his life had already passed. He was 80 years old when he began doing the major work that God wanted him to do. And going back to Egypt and leading the uh, Hebrew slaves out of Egyptian slavery across the desert. Uh, so in a sense, he got, start, he got started later in life, but not really. Uh, God had prepared him for 80 years 
for 40 years of service. Okay, go ahead and get that, get that seminary education and be praying, God, I'm doing this for you. Now, I'm going to be trained. Uh, you be my professor. You be my classmate. You teach me. You get me ready. And then open a door for me and show me where and how and whom you want me to serve. I commend you for that. Full speed ahead. Thanks for listening to Curtin Kate Morning's podcast. Please take a minute to follow, subscribe, and review us. And no matter where in the world you are, you can listen to us live from 6 to 9 a.m. weekdays on the Moody Radio app.